Country Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, we're checking back in on the air travel industry with an update on Boeing's 737 MAX and a deeper look at our favorite way to invest in an air travel rebound. Joining me to help break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman. Lou, thanks for joining me once again on the podcast. Glad to be here. So we last talked about air travel back on September 10th. What's new? We're kind of in the middle of airline earnings right now. We are. We are. And the biggest thing that's new is is that we finally had the CARES Act uh, aid end, which also included a, a, a limit on involuntary separations. And sure enough, this industry needs to get smaller, and we have seen tens of thousands of layoffs, mostly focused on a few carriers. But uh, yeah, we are in the middle of a very bad period, and we're kind of finding out now how long it's going to last or, or getting a feel for how long it's going to last. Right. A lot of uncertainty around uh, how long it will take for the air travel recovery to play out. But uh, uh, airlines appear to at least be getting their foot un- feet underneath them a little bit, getting their cost structures under control so that they have uh, some ability to continue into the future. When we look at an air travel story that's really been dominating the news even back before the pandemic, that's the Boeing 737 MAX saga. The plane has been grounded since March 2019, following crashes in Ethiopia and Indonesia that killed 346 people. However, it appears that the 737 MAX may be ready to return to the skies soon. Earlier this week, American Airlines announced plans to return the 737 MAX to its flying schedule on December 29th, assuming federal regulators approve the aircraft to fly. Lou, when we look at this story, we've been talking about the Boeing 737 MAX. When is it going to return? Uh, for over a year now, how significant is this news for Boeing? Oh, it's it it is the story, and and let's just to underline it: American would not be doing this if they didn't have strong confidence that they that, that they can be doing it. Uh, the FAA has finished their review. The Europeans have said it's about time. Uh, th- we're ready. It's going to happen. Uh, Boeing burnt through almost ten billion dollars in the first half of this year. Some of that was COVID related, but a lot of it is penalties, support payments for suppliers, costs from uh, p- maintaining planes that have uh, been built but are still parked. This is the first step towards Boeing's recovery. Once you can stem that bleeding and also get the cash coming in the door from new plane sales as they start making deliveries, this is the first step of a turnaround. And so it, it is the biggest story for Boeing out there right now. Yeah. You talk about the 737 MAX. People are, you know, well, here's a question for you, Lou. The, the 737 MAX plane is returning. Would you be willing to hop on that airplane uh, on that first flight? Yes, I would be thinking about it on that first flight. I do believe in the power of the software. I do believe in the in the regulators giving it a this time around anyway, giving it a really really thorough look. Uh yes, I would. I would certainly be thinking about it though if I was on that first flight. Absolutely. And I think when we look at positioning of Boeing for an air travel recovery. I pulled a quote uh, from early CEO John Pluger, where he said, basically, we need the MAX. Whether whether folks are concerned about it or not, Airbus simply doesn't have enough manufacturing capacity to meet all the single aisle needs uh, that, are, that are coming forward in, in air travel. 
Anna, it's worth noting that on the back end of this, this aircraft will have been through more regulatory hoops than probably any aircraft in history. So if there's another wreck, then uh, we really need to be uh, blaming our regulators for, for, for making a huge mistake, I think, because th there could not have been more scrutiny on, on what's going on here. But so we look at Boeing 737 MAX coming back. That, that's an important move for them. However, they still need that air travel rebound to get the business back going. Folks have to, to buy these planes. We got some news today about uh, Southwest thinks that, that some of the concerns about, about coronavirus on air travel are, are subsiding. They're going to add middle seats to airlines uh, beginning on, on December 1st. D do you think uh, airlines provide an interesting way to, to invest in a recovery here? So I think, yeah, Southwest, it's interesting because you have to hear everything they're saying. They're both adding back seats because they believe there's confidence is growing. But they also, uh, Gary Kelly, the CEO on CNBC, uh, wouldn't wouldn't fight back when they said it could be 10 years before there's a full recovery. I mean, I don't think he didn't really predict 10 years, but he didn't he didn't he didn't yell at that question. So that's where we are right now. I think for me so far, the most interesting earnings call has been United Airlines. Uh, they were probably the bluntest company back in the beginning of this. While everybody else was celebrating the relief, they said, we're glad we got it. But we're probably still going to do layoffs. You know, they have just been the most candid. Uh, Scott Kirby, their CEO, who I'm a big fan of, uh, in his call, he said 12 to 15 more months of pain and sacrifice. And uh, let me read. It's a great quote because I think it really sums up where we are. The light at the end of the tunnel is now visible. It's a long tunnel. It's going to have twists and turns, but we'll begin to move back towards normal with what health experts are telling us will be a widely vac available vaccine at the mid next year. So that's where he is. He is at the end of the beginning. But it's also, I mean, he says 12 to 15 months. I think that's a minimum. We are still a long way from healthy. We're still years away from healthy. Right. And so so we look at air travel, the recovery is on. But to your point, it's still going to take a long time before we even get back to where we were a year ago. So you need a lot of ifs to go your way to invest in airlines right now. It, is there a better place to invest in an air travel recovery, in your opinion? Well, I think that's a real interesting way to look at it. If you believe that air traffic will recover, but you're nervous about picking a favorite or picking an airline that will still be there, uh, the aircraft lessers are a real interesting thing to look at. These are the companies that are providing planes uh, they buy the planes and lease them back to the uh, airlines. It's a way to bet on the industry without necessarily saying this company will not get in trouble or this company will. Yeah, let's talk about the lessors. Uh, we'll dive into that a little bit here. A surprising thing to a lot of folks will be that airlines aren't the biggest owners of aircraft in the world. They're the, in the world, excuse me. There are these aircraft lessors, and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's cheaper for airlines to lease these planes, at least in the in the short term, than to buy an aircraft outright. In addition, um, these aircraft have lifespans of up to 30 years. Often an, air, an airline will like to re refresh uh, their, their planes on a, on a quicker basis than that. So it gives airlines flexibility to keep newer planes in their fleet. And then thirdly, you look at a lot of these smaller airlines, they just don't have significant scale in purchasing. And so what a lot of these lessors uh, allow folks to do is they have bigger scale, they can get better uh, purchase terms from Boeing and the, these manufacturers. And so uh, it, it benefits the airlines. Uh, where do, how do the lessors make money in this transaction? It's just to that point. I mean, it's, it's buying an airplane is a lot like buying a car where nobody pays sticker. But uh, I have heard cases where some of these big 
lessers uh, rumored to get 70% off list price on their bulk orders. So that's, that, that is a huge advantage that only the biggest airlines, only maybe the, uh, the, the Middle East Airlines or Singapore could get. So yeah, the, the, there's, there's value both sides. The lessers are going to make their money basically as a finance company. It's a spread business like the banks. They, they're going to borrow money and hopefully borrow money, buy the planes, and hopefully be able to charge rates that exceed their borrowing costs. Uh, in good times, they usually can. And, uh, you know, bad times, it's it, it can be a struggle. Right. And so like a bank, these companies are going to carry significant, amount, uh, significant amounts of debt. And the way they make their money is they'll borrow at rate X, and then they will lease the plane out at implied rate X plus Y. And that, and that Y is the spread that they'll make. And that, that's how they earn their margin. So I mean, that, that, that's the how they play into this industry. Why do lessors look more interesting to you than airlines today? Why is now a good time to look at this space? Well, anyone who's hearing us talking about this can probably figure out the risk here. You know, you are carrying, as you said, lot, tens of billion dollars in debt at a time where your product, the planes that you're trying to lease, are less in demand. And sure enough, uh, Aircap, a company that we talked about briefly, uh, you know, they had a deferral balance as of June 30th of over $430 million. Those are lease payments that they have just told their customers they could defer for now. So there is huge risk. And with this risk, you have seen the stocks actually fall more than the airlines. Uh, the case for them, though, is the diversification, the relatively healthy balance sheets, the, the prudence they have shown, plus the opportunity that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and some of the assets they have will hold value even if the individual airline fails. Uh, I think that's that's the real intriguing thing right here is, is that there is so much fear baked in and there's good reason for the fear, but I would argue that fear is very much overblown right now and it's creating an opportunity. Yeah, I think we've, we've talked about in the past with the airlines zeroing the equity side of this business. And so if air travel doesn't recover and airlines aren't able to support their business, they, they might have to go bankrupt. And so while, while the airline may, may disappear, equity holders will be left in a tough spot. However, those assets that the airline uses to, to carry out their business, those airplanes will still hold value. And that, that's what companies like these lessors hold. They hold these actual assets. They will be able to, to recover if an airline declares bankruptcy. Also, uh, when, an air, when a company declares bankruptcy, often it'll be Chapter 11. This is the reorganization bankruptcy. You're trying to keep the company in operation to preserve the value of the business. What that means is if you're an airline, you're probably going to try to keep doing flights, uh, <laughs> keep maintaining flights uh, to keep the business in operation. And that means you're going to keep paying your lessor. So even if these uh, businesses go bankrupt, given uh, the necessity of these assets that Aircap has to the continued operation of the business, there's less likelihood that, that they're going to lose the, lose the business, even if a bankruptcy occurs. They might have leases canceled. They might have a uh, uh, things altered, but they're in a position where they hold the assets that are necessary for this industry to continue operating. Oh, one, other one other important thing, too, as you mentioned, Lou, that the debt that's on these businesses is that there, there's been significant amount of capital that, that's flown to Aircap and some of these other businesses has allowed them to refinance. Just this past week, you saw PIMCO make a deal with GE Aviation Services, GE Capital Aviation Services, another uh, big lessor to develop an aviation leasing platform and to support up to $3 billion in aircraft asset fi financing. This is someone who hadn't been involved in the industry before. Uh, PIMCO, very significant in fixed income, now pumping $3 billion into the space, shows that there is still uh, capital willing to invest in these lessors. So, so the likelihood that uh, access to debt is going to lock up for them uh, appears low. 
We've seen a lot of examples. We, we just were talking off the air. Aircap just did a, a refinance too, where they pushed some of their debt back. Every indication is that the the financial markets are very much open to these guys. That eliminates one very, very bad thing that could go wrong. Uh, most of them are pretty healthy too, in terms of unencumbered assets and and uh, and. The assets they could borrow on if we if things really got bad, uh, yeah, we we'd be in trouble if there was really a freeze here because they are. It's a tough time to be in this business short term, but uh, there is nothing to suggest the financial markets are closing up, and there's nothing to suggest that that they could get into that trouble right now. Yes, yeah, so, so we've mentioned AirCap a few times. That's ticker AER. Uh, when you see AER, uh, that's that's a uh, Ireland, right? Aer Lingus is, is this is the significant air. Uh, uh, airline in Ireland. When you look at a lot of these aircraft leasing businesses, they're based in Ireland. What's the reasoning behind that? This is actually, there is a great story behind this. This actually dates back to the Troubles, which uh, for those of you who aren't as old, old as I am, uh, d- that the sectarian violence that went on in Northern Ireland in the it, it, it peaked in the late 70s. Aer Lingus, the Irish national carrier, uh, they had two Boeing 747s that they had bought to try and figuring out a boom in demand for tourism business from the United States. Because of the troubles, that wasn't happening. They were losing money. They needed to do something with these two 747s. They had the idea of placing them. I believe both ended up in uh, Thailand or at least Southeast Asia. And someone at Aer Lingus said, hey, there's a business here. Uh, from that became something called Guinness Peat Aviation, which was the industry for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of Guinness Peat alums still running these companies, and it kind of just built up as a niche industry in Dublin. You have uh, lease law experts, you have sales accounting experts, you have Ireland has a very, very good uh, tax treaty with countries all over the world. It is a it is kind of become a cottage industry now, and uh, all because of what was going on in Northern Ireland in the uh, late 70s and Aer Lingus's desperate need to get rid of two assets that they couldn't make money on. Yeah, and so and so it's one of these accidents of history where, where Ireland has has been this hub uh, of aircraft leasing. Aircap is based there, Airlease, another publicly traded uh, company based in Ireland as well. We've mentioned Aircap a few times, and that's the one I, I want to really drive into uh, more on this podcast. I own it. You own it. Uh, I know some other folks at, at the Motley Fool own it. Uh, so it's it's really our our favorite of this bunch. Why does Aircap stand out among this group? So Aircap for me is the perfect combination of the two things you need in this business. For one, you need size and scale, and they have it. They are depending on how you look at it. They are the largest. They're largest by asset value of commercial aircraft. Uh, they aren't the biggest fleet, but they are the most valuable fleet. Uh, they also have, uh, I believe, 200 customers in 80 countries. So they have a lot of geographic diversity too. At the same time, they also have a very young fleet. A lot of what we're talking about here, what could go wrong is if a if an airline goes bankrupt, they return the plane, you need to find a place for it. That is much easier to do in this environment if you have a young fuel-efficient plane that has value versus a 25-year-old plane that is is less valuable even in good times. Aircap is the combination of the size and it also has, I believe, just a couple of... uh, couple of numbers for you. Uh, More than half of their fleet is so-called next-gen technology, which are these new fuel-efficient planes. 90% of the fleet are 
A320s, the new A320s, the NEOs, the 787 Dreamliners, the uh, 737 Maxes even. These are the planes that are in demand. They are the world's largest lesser of the A320 NEO and the 787. They have strong access to capital, good scale, and planes that are in demand if things go south. It is a great way, if you're interested in lessers, to get involved. They have the best risk profile out there, in a, and yet they are still trading at, I believe, what, 30% of book right now. Yeah, well, we'll get into the valuation a, a little bit later. Yeah, that significant fleet shows right now a lot of the concern is until air travel recovers, you're going to have some of these assets sitting and not flying. Uh, these younger these younger assets are going to hold up their value longer and be more, more marketable uh, than some older, older assets where you look at uh, like GE Capital's uh, aircraft assets, much older uh, relative to AirCap. Another significant uh, point for them is a disproportionate, I believe 70% is what I have down of their fleet is with US and Chinese flag carriers. That means they have less risk with, with some of these smaller airlines. So a lot of the big risk is going to be with, uh, you know, Virgin uh, was one of the, those who went air, who went uh, bankrupt earlier this year, much smaller airline, much, much less risk in these flag carriers. Also, these flag carriers are going to have more access to capital. So, so uh, they're, they're going to be able to refinance. So when you're looking at AirCap, what are the key metrics that you pay attention to? You mentioned the fleet size. Uh, you've mentioned the diversity. Uh, what about their access to capital? What can you look at to, to track that? Well, so, so, I mean, you can see what they're doing. I mean, one thing they're good at too, just to kind of follow on your point is one of the reasons they have the youngest fleet is, is they are among the most active traders of aircraft. And this is important. It can go wrong for you. But but frankly, in, in my mind, they're just better at this than we are. They were selling 787s when this was still the hottest game in town in anticipation of a move towards smaller aircraft focus. And they proved right there. They keep their young fleet in part by doing deals. And importantly, as I look at this company in this year, they have continued to find buyers and continue to do the sale and purchase of aircraft through this time. I think for the year, and we don't have third numbers through third quarter yet, they've 18 purchased and 34 sold. A lot of what they're selling is the older. It was a 747 in there, a couple of older generation 777s. But that is how you keep the portfolio young, which in this environment is very important. In terms of looking at their financial profile, you look at their debt. Yeah, they have $30 billion in debt, but very little of it, less than $2 billion is due before 2023. They have access to capital. We've just seen some refinancing. They have unencumbered assets of, of nearly $30 billion. We'll get an update on that number soon. So if things go wrong, they can go, they can raise more money. Now, Granted, in that situation, probably book value is a bad thing to look at. Maybe that unencumbered assets is maybe it's half of that, fifteen billion. That's still a lot of liquidity in a pinch. If they're not going under, and if aviation is coming back, this stock really, really looks cheap. And uh, and that's kind of my argument for buying it, and that's why I do own it. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the valuation now. You mentioned earlier. I'll just run through a few a few of these numbers. About five times forward earnings. About forty uh, percent of book value. I know a lot of folks push back at book value for a company like Aircap. It's relevant, a, a, a heavily uh, capital-heavy business uh, in a in a financing type industry. That's where, where book value is relevant. You're trading forty cents on the dollar there. You're also looking at 0.7 times normalized sales. But again, you look at these numbers. Book value depends on on what the value of these assets are. When you look at normalized sales, depends on the pace of recovery of this industry. So you look at this valuation and it looks very appealing. What could go wrong? So what could go wrong? I mean, the, the, the bear case is you can probably picture it in your head. I mean, if the sluggish travel demand 
prolonged, leads to falling lease rates as planes come up for renewal. There's a glut of aircraft out there, so the su supply and demand issues. Uh, airlines post-pandemic at least, uh, they are likely going to rely on their partners for international travel. So that's going to be fewer aircraft needed even in recovery. Meanwhile, Boeing and Airbus are desperate to keep their productions line, production lines running. So they are willing to cut deals. They're willing to finance internally. To some extent, the air caps of the world can get in on this, but it also, it, it, it's a good time to maybe go to, to bypass the middleman if, if, the, if Boeing is really trying to make deals. Uh, so you could have a world where it is really hard to place assets and earn a return on and p pay your bills at a time when residual values are plummeting and it's tougher to sell older planes. Now, a lot has to go wrong there, and they do have some coverage. I mean, we mentioned earlier, Aircap has about $430 million in deferrals. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to their earnings reports. We can update these numbers. They had reserved about a billion dollars against that. So they are conservative. It doesn't keep me up at night. But it's hard to imagine this industry coming back much before the airlines. And if the airlines are going to be in trouble for a while, there is at least a risk of dead money. So you better be getting it cheap. And look, this is a highly leveraged business. We're in a pandemic. It's really hard to predict the future of a virus. So there is inherent risk just until we know what the other side looks like. Right. And so really, you just you have to believe that air travel is going to recover. That That's a key part um, to, to this thesis. You know, if you were investing today, what, what time horizon would you be thinking on uh, to wait for this thesis to play out? I'm, I'm a terrible one to ask here because I hate selling stocks. So everything I buy, I'm thinking very long term. But this one, I think you have to. Uh, I think, there, I, you know, we didn't get into this and I don't want to get to it, but there are some other levers to pull too with these businesses too. If, if, if we get into an extended rut, there's, uh, you know, there's, without getting too much into the industry term of art, but there are dry leases, there are wet leases, and there are what they call these damp leases, where the leasing company picks up some of the maintenance, maybe makes a little margin on that. There's a lot of levers to pull. So I'm hopeful that even if air traffic isn't really back until the middle part of this decade, we'll see these companies as the markets get more familiar with them. I'd like to think some of the valuation will go up, but I think you better count on holding this for five years at least. Right. At the end of the day, these are the companies that control the assets that will be driving that recovery. Right. You need these are the planes that, that will be flying on an increased rate, and so these these lessors provide a little bit less uh, risk way to invest in that recovery, where you hold the assets versus the equity on the side of this business. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts here before we go away, Lou? Well, I would just say, and again, I mean, I am more bullish on the airlines than most. And even I am, I, 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 I feel a lot better about this than I do about the airlines. I mean, there is a lot of danger here. Be careful. Some of these other companies, you may get a little bit more on sale, but there are kind of some warts there that I don't see with Aircap. Be very careful. This should be a small part of a diversified portfolio. But there are moments where fear causes things to be mispriced. And I don't get them in my industrial area as often as the kind of tech does. And this really feels like one of those moments with Aircap. Yeah, I agree. This is one of those where it looks like the market has overreacted, but we won't know until we see how quickly this, this recovery takes place. And we'll be on this show tracking it as it happens. Lou, thanks so much for joining you on the podcast once again. Glad to be here. 
As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.